Have you ever wanted to kind of have an intimate or in-depth conversation at dinner and it just wasn't working? You wanted to actually have like a real conversation with somebody, but it, it, it was just getting silly. That happens in our lives sometimes. But what I want to talk about today is how Jesus had the most powerful conversation ever at a breakfast on a beach. And it was because the people who were there were willing to be vulnerable. And Jesus was just there. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're here for the first time, I welcome you to this church. I hope you feel what God is doing in this amazing congregation through the singing, through the prayer that uh, Richard offered from a prisoner, a jail uh, person in the jail down the way. We, we just thank everybody for being a part of this incredible church. Also, we welcome those listening on podcast, especially today from St. Louis, Missouri. And we know that your heat index has been going up this, this uh, summer, and it's not been safe as the stock market goes down, this, that your heat index is going up. And we pray that those will reverse for everybody here pretty soon. So we are on our seventh week of our series called Table for Two. And as you see, we have our backdrop. We're taking a look at how Jesus came not just to teach and to heal and to preach and to perform miracles and to live and to die and to come back to life for all of us and to save us. He also came to be with us, to be with us in a meal and to have that close connection that we can have over a dinner table. And so we're going to talk about that. And by the way, there are three weeks left for summer. Those of you who are waiting, uh, a mom said to me last week, I can't wait for Christmas. And I'm like, no, that's a long way away. She's like, no, Christmas for adults. It's when the kids go back to school again. So uh, we know that that, but however, for the next couple of weeks, we have some time still. If you want to be a part of the table for two experience, we really want you to have a, a dinner together and we'll help you with that. The other thing about just being with one another is it takes time, and you have to take time to have a meal together. And, and we live in a world where no one really does that anymore. I had a meeting the other day. I was supposed to have a, a hamburger kind of meeting with someone at a, a fast food place here, and we couldn't, I couldn't make it on time, and he couldn't make it on time. So he decided to go to his fast food restaurant, and I went to mine, and we went through the drive-thru, and we decided to have a text messaging meeting. And, uh, and so we were, I was there driving down the road with my burger in one hand and my text message. And by the way, that's not a good idea to do. You know the one, uh, honk if you love Jesus, text message while driving if you want to meet him. Well, that's what you want to keep in mind. And anyway, Jesus didn't mean for it to be like that. He meant for us to actually have time with one another. And so we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite meals with Jesus. And that was a breakfast with Jesus. Now, Jesus had breakfast a lot, but this is the only time we know of that God actually had breakfast with, uh, with his disciples. And let's take a look at this powerful text, and um, it will show us how we can really connect with God. Let's take a look at John 21, 1 through 14. Now, this is the, probably the fifth or the sixth time that Jesus is seen after he is resurrected. John will tell us in this text that this is the third time but he's not correct. Now, this isn't to contradict the Bible. It's just to say that John is a pastor and he's not good with numbers. And I can say that because I'm a pastor not good with numbers. But the first time that Jesus comes, he is seen, he's seen in the garden, remember, on Easter morning. And then he is seen on the road to Emmaus that evening. And then he is seen in an upper room once. And then the second time in an upper room to see Thomas. And so this is the fifth time that Jesus is seen and he's having a meal with his disciples. Let's take a look at the text. Now, afterward, Jesus appeared again to the, his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Now, if you count this up, this is seven disciples. So we might ask, well, what, what about the other five disciples? Where were they? 
Well, we know about Judas. But what about the other four disciples that weren't there? Well, many people think that what the disciples were really hoping to do is have a very successful fishing day. And if they filled the boat with disciples, they wouldn't have as much room for fish. Let me just show you. This is a picture that I actually took of a boat that is an exact replica of a boat that the disciples were in. It's a first century boat found in the Sea of Galilee. And as you can see, if you put 12 or 11 people in there, you wouldn't have any room for fish. So many people think that they left four people behind so they would have a very big space for fish. In other words, they were excited about what was going to happen in that day. They were going to have a record banner fishing day. So they get on the boat and you can hear it in their voice. I'm going out to fish, said you can hear it. Peter sinking. I'm going to have a great fishing day. Simon Peter told them and then they said, we'll go with you. They're excited about this. So they went out and they fished all night long and they got into the boat but that night, they caught what? Nothing. You ever had that experience in your life? You go out and try to get a big job, or you try to maybe endeavor some big project, or maybe you're going to turn a new leaf, you're going to go to the gym, or you're going to have a new experience with your kids, you're going to be a brand new dad, and you decide you're going to do this big thing. And you work all night, and you work all night, and you work all night, and you come up with nothing. And that can be so discouraging. So the disciples are really discouraged in the morning. It's early in the morning. Uh, they have morning hair. They're frustrated. They, they have been up all night. They haven't caught a thing. And a stranger, Jesus, they don't know who it is, stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Now this stranger, the, or the person that they don't know who is Jesus, calls out from the shore, Friends, haven't you any fish? The Greek here is better. Padia, it's where we get our word, Pediatrician, or pediatrician, children, little boys, haven't you any fish? Now, this is one thing you don't want to ask people who haven't caught any fish. First of all, you don't want to call them little boys, children, laddies. The other thing you don't want to do is you want to be subtle about it. You want to say, so how did the day go? Just in case they don't want to talk about the fish. So you say, well, you know, how are things going? But Jesus isn't subtle. Haven't you caught any fish? I love that. Now, they're not too happy with it. They respond, all seven of them in unison, no, they answered. Then Jesus gives them some advice. And just a little heads up, never give people advice when they haven't caught any fish in their life or they're really needing just to be held for a while or whatever. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Uh, By the way, my friend who uh, lives in Boulder was fishing in Boulder Creek this last week. And he text messaged me. He said, I am fishing in Boulder Creek. The sun just went down and I didn't catch any fish. And I text messaged him back, throw your net on the other side of the boat. (laughs) And you know, he didn't text message me back. (laughs) So when they did though, and by the way, what's the right side of the boat when you're in a tiny schooner that's not larger than the boat you just saw? But they do what Jesus says. This stranger, they didn't even know who it is. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Notice, they only start to catch fish after they've gone through their whole long night of their project for their life. And it's when Jesus gives them some instructions for their life that they really get a big catch in the morning when they run out of their own ideas. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. Now, this is a big part I want to talk about today. All of us go through a life. All of us have to go through these experiences of going through with our own ideas, fishing all night by ourselves. 
And all of us are there, and Jesus is there in the morning. And then it's our opportunity to be vulnerable with God, to just be ourselves in the morning. But Peter doesn't want to do that. He wraps himself up, and then he gets in the water. Think about that. He really doesn't want Jesus to see who he is. And so he wraps himself up, he jumps in the water, and he lets the other disciples do the hard work and bringing the fish back in. And when they landed, this is my favorite part, this is the breakfast part, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I just love this image. Jesus. He, he woke up at four in the morning to light a fire. You have to have a pretty burns down fire for fish. The coals, the embers are there. Where did he get the bread? Did he make it himself? Or did he go to the store? Maybe the day before? The fish. Where did he get those? Of course, Jesus could develop fish however he wanted, but maybe he went to the market or maybe he caught them this morning, that morning. And I love that he waited for them. He didn't eat. He hadn't had a bite. It was just waiting for them on, on the beach in the morning. Here he was with breakfast. And all the disciples really had to do after their long night of fishing by themselves is just to come and eat with Jesus. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged his net ashore and full of large fish, but even so many, the net was not torn. And then Jesus says these words, come and have breakfast. I love this. And then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and gave, it, gave them the fish. Early communion, by the way, first century communion had both fish and bread. We were going to do that here, but the uh, health department didn't think it was a good idea. But, but they had, and notice Jesus is serving the Peter. You need a little more bread. Ah, oh, James, here's, here's some more fish. He's serving them even before he eats himself. And then finally, this is now the third time. Again, John isn't right in his numbers, but it's just fine. That's not the point of the text. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what I want to talk about today is our tendency as people to have to go out and fish on our own. All night. Our own projects, our own ideas. And the need, then in the morning, when we've run out of our own ideas, to just be vulnerable with Jesus and have this breakfast, this great meal with him. I should begin by saying that I, I don't like breakfast. It's not my favorite meal. In fact, I would just assume I not have breakfast. I, I don't like the foods of breakfast. And it's okay if you do. I'm just not a breakfast person. I don't like muffins or, or waffles or, or that kind of thing. I'd rather skip to lunch, you know, like meat. I want like ribs. And, but then it doesn't seem right to eat ribs for breakfast. You know, so I, I just don't know what to do with the food. Also, I'm not a morning person at all. My neighbor has a diesel contractor truck, and he wakes up at 4.30 every morning to start his contractor truck to warm it up. And so for like two hours, he's warming up his contractor truck. And Star and I try to remember to have the window closed so we don't get diesel fumes in our window, but just the two hours of warming up this diesel truck. And that's kind of like me, though. I need two hours to warm myself up. At least I, don't, I can't even talk like for two hours. I just, I need to get that engine going. And so that's why I've never been to the 659 men's breakfast here at Highlands Church. I don't, I'm not a breakfast morning person, and the food isn't really my favorite thing. But I, I was in a church a long time ago in Red Bluff, California, where I had to go to this men's breakfast as a part of my job's description. And this was a group of seniors, uh, mostly in their 80s, I would say. And I don't want to generalize, but none of these guys probably had slept much the night before anyway. And so they were raring to go at 6 a.m. It wasn't 6.59, it was 6 a.m. 
So I would roll in there at 6 a.m., and it seemed like they were just so ready to go, and they're like, hey, looks like the pastor woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know? Uh, oh, pastor, I guess you're not a morning person. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know? And I can't remember, but I could have sworn one of the guys would always give me like a noogie in the morning, like, oh, you're a good pastor. And, and then they would always ask me like some big question in the morning. Like they would all get together and ask like, what is the most heavy question we can ask them at 6 a.m.? And so they would always ask me something like, pastor, tell me about the nature of hell. 6.05 in the morning, they want to know about the nature of hell. I, I swear I was this close to being like, this is hell. Right here. This is it. But that wouldn't seem pastoral, so I didn't do that. But you know, as long as I've thought about this, about morning food and time, it's not that that I don't like about the morning. You know what I don't like about it? It's that I have to be vulnerable. It's that I can't be like pastor guy. I don't like people to see me with morning hair. I, I don't like to not have all the answers. I don't like to, like, be off my game. I like to be ready, you know? But what I think God is trying to tell us in this text is if we want to connect with Jesus Christ, we have to have come to the end of our night of fishing. And we have to be there at breakfast in the morning. And we have to just be willing to just have our breakfast hair and our breakfast self, just to be transparent before God and not have the answers and not like look like we know what our lives are all about. It's the only way we can really connect with Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about that. You know, the British have a phrase called a stiff upper lip. And um, they talk like this, Robert. You know, who say what? They talk with a stiff upper lip. And it's not because their lip is stiff. Well, some of them, maybe it is. But, but really, the reason they do that is because they're trying to hide a cry underneath. So they talk like this. But God doesn't want us to talk like that. He wants us to come with ourselves. All the flaws, all the broken parts. So let's talk about that together a little bit. First thing is, every person I've ever met who encounters the faith, who has ever lived, has to have a long night of fishing and has to come up short. Everybody has to come up with their ideas for their life, their plan, and then they have to come up short. So there are these... Uh, two rednecks who go fishing one day. And uh, these guys go into a tackle shop before they go fishing. And that's a bad idea to do, by the way. Go to a tackle shop because you're going to unload a lot of money if you do that. And that's what happened to these two guys. They go in and they get sonar detectors and lures and spinner maps. And you know, before they know it, they've spent a bunch of money. And then they go fishing. And they fish for one day and they don't catch one fish. And then they fish a second day and they don't catch a fish. And the third day, they don't catch a fish. till the very end, they catch this little nine-inch little trout. So on the way home, one redneck says to the other, Well, Billy, I believe that little nine-inch trout there costs us about $1,500. And the other redneck says to the other, Yeah, makes you think that we're probably good. We only caught one. <laughs> so, so everybody has to go through this. My favorite story about this is Erwin McManus, who is pastor of a church called Mosaic. And I love the name of this church. Because the name of the church is about the theme of the church. They call it mosaic because a mosaic is a beautiful piece of art made up of lots of little broken pieces. And the only way to make a mosaic is to have lots of little broken pieces that are put together. And so the concept of this church is that everyone is a little broken piece. 
and that God assembles this church together into this beautiful patchwork. But if little pieces pretend like they're perfect, they're not going to work by themselves. So anyway, Erwin McManus uh, loves football. He loves uh, particularly Mark Sanchez from the Jets. He's a big Jets fan. And he decided one day, he lives in L.A. or Pasadena, he decided he would get on a plane and get tickets to go see the, his favorite team, Mark Sanchez and the Patriots on the other side. He decided he was going to go to this game. And these, these tickets cost him a lot of money. And they were 50-yard line tickets. So they were really, really expensive tickets. They were so expensive, he didn't tell his wife how much he spent on them. That's how expensive they were. So he decided he's going to go to this game. He just loves this football team. But, but on the flight over, there's a guy named, or he doesn't know his name. He goes to his church, and the guy says, um, I have free tickets for the U.S. Open, and they're courtside tickets. And Rafael Nadal is probably going to be in the finals. So if you want, you can sit next to me at this free tennis game um, over in Flushing Meadows. Well, here, Irwin has this big challenge, right? Now, he spent a lot of money on these tickets here, Patriots, Jets, and he's got this free courtside. But he figures, well, why don't I try to do both? Why don't I start the day over Flushing Meadows, get in a taxi cab, and then go see the football game? So that's what he tries to do. So he goes over and sees this Rafael Nadal, and it is the historic match. It is the greatest tennis match since, like, McEnroe, Connors. It is goes like six or seven sets. And Rafael Nadal, it's, he's, he's making history as he's doing this. And he says to his friend there, look, I got to go over. I got tickets for the Patriots Jets, and so I'm going to leave you. His friend says, are you crazy? All right, do whatever you're going to do. So he goes over, and he goes, to, goes, gets in a cab, gets over to the other football game. And his friend says, he says to his other friend who's there, so how's it going? He said, this is the worst game I've ever seen. There are more penalties than there are first downs in this game. Awful. Oh, shoot, said Erwin. I was over, over at U.S. Open and such a great... You were over there? What are you doing here? And he thought about that. And then he thought, why am I here at the Pates game and the Jets? Because I bought these tickets. And the other game was free. And that's the question before us today. Do we want a free breakfast on the beach? Or do we want to go through life, the rest of our lives, paying for a very mediocre game? That's the question for all faith followers. I came up this kind of personal revelation the other day. I had had my 39th birthday the other day, and it wasn't a revelation that I turned 39, but it kind of was a revelation that I'm 39. And then next year, I'm going to need some of your help to get through that moment. That's 40. (laughs) Because I had this little thing of like, you know, my life is kind of half over, you know. I mean, I'm not saying how long your life's going to be or anything, but I'm figuring 80, 90, but it's kind of half over. And I was really bummed about it for about 10 minutes. And, but then I'm like, yeah, it's half over. Because I will tell you the first 40 years of my life has been a whole lot about me, my game, my fishing trip. I'm just so excited for the next whatever God gives me to just be able to be with Jesus on the beach, whatever he wants to bring me. It's all of us. And that's the second part. You know, Jesus will be waiting for us on the beach no matter how long it takes. He's there waiting for us. He's there waiting for your friends. He's there waiting for your children. He's there waiting for your family members. One of my favorite movies is the movie Legends of the Fall that features a guy by the name of Tristan, who's kind of a guy who needs to work some stuff out. 
And he's in love with this girl, Susanna. So they're in love and they think they might get married. And, but Tristan doesn't think he's really ready for a relationship yet, not this intense of a relationship. So he says, I need to kind of go on a long hunting trip. So Susanna says, well, look, I love you so much. I will wait for you as long as it takes. I will wait for you forever. So Tristan goes out and he goes on this big hunting trip in Africa and China. And it takes like a couple of years. And he comes back and there is this girl, Susanna, and she's with another man. She's married somebody else. And he goes up to her and says, well, I thought you were going to wait forever. And she said, I know, but forever was just a little too long. But here's the thing. Forever is never going to be too long for Jesus Christ. He will wait forever for you. He will wait as long as it needs for you to finish whatever you've got to do. And he will be there in the morning on the beach with breakfast. And all you've got to do is just want to be a part of that meal. That eternal meal with him. But we do have to do one more thing. We have to be willing to be vulnerable at that moment. We have to be willing not to have all the answers, not to have all the perfect smile, not the perfect hair, not the perfect lives. We have to be able to be willing to present ourselves as just broken people that God can do something great with. So this is a picture of the little mermaid in Denmark. I always thought it was like bigger than that, but it's a little tiny statue actually out in the Copenhagen uh, little fjord there. It's a nice statue, but my favorite statue in Denmark is a different one. It's a statue of Torvaldsen's Jesus Christ. And I remember visiting that for the very first time, and I was an exchange student in Denmark, and, and I remember looking at it, and kind of like all artwork, you need to sort of spend more time looking at it to really take it in. But I remember thinking, it's great, it's fine, but it's not really, really great. But then I remember reading a little thing in the program. It said, if you want to really see the face of Jesus, you must get down on your knees before it. And I'm thinking, that's a really good one. Some churches come up with this thing, and that's how they're going to get people to kind of go on their knees. And I wasn't really in a place of faith that I am today. So I remember I'm not going to go be vulnerable before this thing, not in public. I don't want to get on my knees. So I went like this, kind of like that. And I will tell you, even from this position, it was so beautiful. I could see tears coming down Jesus' cheeks. I could see his eyes looking at my eyes. That's the only way. So, Tuesday morning, I'm going to the men's breakfast. I'm here to tell you, I will be at 6.59. I'm not going to have all the answers. I'm going to have bad hair. I'm not going to like the food. I'm not going to be the pastor guy. And I want to challenge all the rest of you, all the rest of you men, to come that morning with me. And we're just going to be there together before Christ and see what he wants to do in our lives and have breakfast together. Sound good? Father, thank you for your power in our lives. Thank you that we are people that have to always go through our stuff before we can come to yours. But Lord, you are still there for us. I pray that you would speak to us today. Give us this breakfast that 
we have been trying to get on our own, but only you will give us by just a free gift of just being with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.